This is a prayer of Jesus. Last week we talked about, uh, you know, the big, big thing last week was John 16, 33. Jesus told him, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And we just talked about how our perspective of trouble is limited. And it's not if, but when. I mean, trouble is inevitable. And um, that, that God is at work, but sometimes it's hard to see that. And then immediately, you know, in John's writing, after Jesus makes those statements, and Jesus launches into this prayer, and this prayer would have been a public prayer. It wouldn't have been like he was over in the corner whispering to him and God. It's something that, uh, like the, the, the temple prayers, where it would have been prayed out loud, where people would have heard, and the disciples are getting a, a front row seat to this interaction between Jesus and the Father. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do this. Um, you know, people want to break down Jesus' prayer and critique it for things. I'm not into critiquing Jesus. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but you can go for that all you want. Uh, but I think there are some things we can learn and some things that will speak to us. And so uh, that's my heart this morning. So let's just walk through these verses and uh, see what God has for us this morning. John 17. Uh, after Jesus said this, in this world you're going to have trouble, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. He looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those who you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, not that he's already gone to the cross, but that's where he's heading. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them, and I am not praying for the world. And it's not that he doesn't love the world, but he's going to like, I'm going to deal with the world later. I'm praying for the church. I'm praying for the believers because they need prayer. But for those of you who have given me, for they are yours, and all I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and all glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so they may have full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word. <coughs> And the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. And my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one, for they are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, Though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know you that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself might be in them. You know, totally different prayer when the disciples asked Jesus, hey, would you teach us how to pray? And He taught them, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us of our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Jesus taught them that model prayer. But now this is Jesus actually talking to the Father with them in his presence. And the prayer that he is praying is is kind of three three parts. I mean, he's praying for the disciples. He's praying for for the church. But he's praying that God would do what God has been doing, that he would bring the glory uh, that he has sent, that, that he would send Jesus to the cross. I mean, that's an odd prayer. Can we just say that? That's an odd prayer because Jesus is going, hey, it's time for you to send me to the cross and for me to die, for me to be brutalized for the hope of the world. It's, it's time. Let, let's make this happen. And I don't know about you, but that's an odd prayer. I mean, hey, it's time for me to go be brutalized. I don't know that any of us ever pray that prayer. If, if you pray that prayer, we, we, we've got a doctor that we can get you to. Um, but it, it is what, what Jesus is saying, that you know he looks towards heaven in verse 1. He says, the, the hour has come. The, the time has come. At th- this is the right time. Matter of fact, uh, in the epistles, it says, at just the right time, Christ died for us at just the right time. And Jesus says, hey, this is... This is that time. He's saying, hey, God, I'm here to do what you've asked me to do. God, I'm ready to go be the Savior of the world. And that's what he means when he says, glorify me and I'll glorify you. Uh, It's not a pride thing. It's not Jesus going, hey, it's time for me to promote myself. It's time for me to be the big deal. Jesus is saying, it's time for me to go die. That's the whole purpose that I came to earth was to die, that that the Son of God would leave heaven and would become the incarnate Son. Remember, he's saying this in the shadow of the cross because the cross is just days, just moments away. God, would you send me to be the the Savior of the world? In in verse 6, he says that he has revealed God to all those that 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 he had given, the the disciples, the people that have walked, the people that he's encountered, like the woman at the well, like Nicodemus, like the woman caught in adultery. Jesus says, look, all those people that you have run across my path that I've had interaction with, I've shown them who you really are. That you're not a mean, capricious God, that you're not out for our destruction, but you're the God who loves, the God who loves enough to send his son. Not just his son to live, but his son to die. Not just to die, but to be resurrected. And so you get down to verse 9. Jesus says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me, for they are yours. He's, 
He's praying for all believers everywhere. He's praying for this church thousands of years before we ever knew that this church would exist. He says that he's praying for them. He's lifting them up. But what's he praying for? He, he's not praying, he says, for the world, for the people outside. He, he's praying for those who know that Jesus is who he said he is, and he did what he said he was going to do. Um, once again, it's not that he doesn't love the world, but he's going to get to the world later. He's praying for the church to literally be the church because the church is where the Spirit of Christ is manifested. Because I don't know if y'all realize this, but we're in a spiritual battle. And we need prayer. We need the intercession of God. Matter of fact, he told the disciples, it's good that I'm going away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he says, you're going to do amazing and greater things that I've done because I'm going to be up next to the Father interceding for you. I'm going to be speaking on your behalf. And that kind of blows us away a little bit. You mean Jesus is is going to be instituting the answer to our, our prayers? Yeah. Now, if you look in verse 11, there's this kind of odd statement in the middle of that text. He says that he's not going to remain in the world any longer, but that we're all going to be in the world. The disciples are going to be in the world. And he says he's coming back to the Father. And then he says, keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. Now, I don't know about you, but that's kind of an odd statement. When I pray for people that I love, like when you know, my wife was you know, gone for a little bit. She she had some stuff she had to go travel and do. You know, when I think about praying for her, I pray, God, keep her safe. You know, make sure she doesn't forget about me. The kids will be okay, but don't don't let her forget about me. And, you know, you, you pray for certain things for people, and yet Jesus doesn't pray that prayer. Jesus says, keep them, keep them in your name. Now, I don't know about you, but there's something there. Um, God, please keep them. And and the things that, you know, we normally pray aren't necessarily bad things, I mean, at all. I mean, to pray for their safety and pray for, you know, traveling and all the, you know, give them words and people they're ministering to, do, do all this stuff. But think about it. He's just spoken in John 16, 33, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Remember, he didn't say he's going to take them out of the trouble. He's going to provide what they need to walk through the trouble. And to keep us in his name means that we are under the shelter of the Most High, that we are under the the protection of the Most High, that we are under the authority of the Most High, that we are under the watchful care of the one who loves us. And some of us goes, hey, I don't know that God's, I think he's sleeping right now because do you know what I'm going through? Yeah, but think about what you would be going through if he weren't watching over you. Think about the things that would happen were his hand not on you. Something like, I don't know. I don't know if I feel his hand. Oh, can you imagine the the full weight? Um, You know, my kids love going to the beach. And and I grew up on the beach, so I hate the sand. And uh, But no, they want to go to the beach, so we go to the beach. And uh, I was a lifeguard for, for quite a number of years. And so particularly Hattie, she, she will kind of slowly eke out into the water, but she'll want me to hold her so the waves, when they hit her, they don't, they don't knock her down. And then sometimes she'll say, oh, daddy, I got this. And then she'll kind of stand there and a wave will come in and then there she goes. 
And she didn't like that, but but she loves she loves to let the wave hit her, but she loves the steadying hand of her father. And you think about the waves that have hit you in life if the father didn't have you in his hands, what they would have done to you. I mean, how they would have disoriented you, how they would have taken everything out from under you, and you would have gotten up and gone, I don't know where I am, I don't know what to do, because we've all been there. And then we try to go, oh, well, maybe I need to figure this one out on my own. Can we just all look at ourselves and go, bad idea. And so Jesus says, hold them, Lord, in you, in the name of who you are. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to give you peaceful circumstances. I'm saying that our foundation, what our feet is standing on, if it's not, if it's not solid, if it's not the name above every name, if it's not the name of the Most High, then that sand is going to get pulled out by the undertow and we're going to fall back and we're going to crash and life is going to come over us and we're going to feel like we're drowning. And it's not that we're not going to get knocked off our feet even being in His name, but think how much worse it is is if you're not in the hand of the one that can hold you. Matter of fact, Jesus said that all those of the Father is placed in my hand, no one can take from him. I don't know about you, but that tells me that the grip of God's grace is enough. The grip of God's grace is enough. And then if you jump down in like to verse 18, he, he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And this is kind of the central idea of this whole prayer is the word sent. Uh, the Latin word for mission is missio. And that's where we get this word sent, to be sent out. As believers in Jesus, we have been sent. We've been told to go. Go into the world and love the world. Go and serve the world. Go and care the world. Uh, because Christians are not museum pieces sitting on a shelf collecting dust. Though we've kind of taken that disposition and attitude at times. He says, look, God sent me and I am sending you. Jesus says that over and over and over, particularly in this prayer. Now, if we're not careful, though, we'll say, hey, I, you know, I, I'm going to kind of, you know, bring a little self-glory here. Um, but Jesus, from birth to death, his whole mantra was, I've come for the sake of others. I've come for the sake of others. I've come for the sake of others. He, he didn't come to do something for himself. He came to do something for the world. This idea of us being sent if we're not careful, we'll make our being sent about us. That life becomes a character play where we're really the star and all of you are just kind of extras. And you're supposed to make my life easier. But then we get frustrated because then people get in your way. And you're like, okay, God, can you get that person out of my life? Because what? We, we turn selfish. We turn selfish. Um, Jesus says that he gets joy from what he came to do for others. And we talked about the difference between joy and happiness last week. And Jesus was like, 
I, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. So to be Christian, to be child of God means that we're sent, and to be Christian means we're sent where we live, where we work, where we play, because we're on mission, we're going. We're being sent to manifest the very spirit of Christ to a world that needs to go, that needs to listen, that that the church is either going or it's dying. I want you to think about that. The church is either going or it's dying. When you read the book of Acts, and maybe later this year we'll we'll launch into the book of Acts, but the the thought of the, the early church in Acts is that they're always being led by the Spirit to go somewhere and to do something for the name of God for the sake of other people. You don't see the church going out and doing things just for themselves. The beginnings of the early church in Acts 2, 3, and 4 is that they sold possessions so other people who were in need had what they needed. That they did things that were unselfishly motivated for the glory of God to speak into the world. By the way, they they were scattered all over the world because of persecution where they could have just said, look, I'm done with this. I'm just going to stay with my hometown. I renounce the name of Christ. I'm just going to stay where it's comfortable, where it's easy. And yet, wherever they get persecuted and pushed out to, they take the love of Jesus with them. That's the reason that the, the story gets told across the world. It's the reason, hey, we're here today talking about Jesus. And that's this prayer that he prays that God would do something bigger than any and all of them. Now, here's the deal. Us being sent. He says that the reason that we're sent is that the world may believe, that the world may believe that God sent him. My prayer is not for them only. Verse 20 I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. Listen, there is no better slash worse advertisement for God's will than the Christian. When we do it right, it's a beautiful thing. And people go, hey, look, I knew that guy when he was like 16 and there was nothing godly in him. Matter of fact, he was the Antichrist. And now I don't even know what to think because I'm watching his life and he's like, where'd that come from? Or they, they see a church out in the community serving at serve day and people are doing things like, just working side by side and just loving people and being kind and they're just out for the sake of the community. They're not like handing out a pamphlet, like have you read this one? Or have, you know, if you come to church, maybe. No, they're just there because we live in this community too and we want it to be a better place. There's no better advertisement for the work of God in the world than we, we go sent to love on people. But there's no worse advertisement when pride takes over, when a church says, hey, you know what, look, look, look at what we've accomplished. Look at the knowledge that we've acquired. Look at the salvation I've earned. Remember, we're just one beggar trying to help another beggar know where to get bread. 
I mean, you could be here this morning, you're not even sure you buy into the verbiage of the good news message, the gospel message. But you know what? There's, you, you can't argue a changed life. You may not understand it, but you can't argue. When you look at somebody's life and it is totally changed, you're like, look, I, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to make of that. But that person is absolutely different. They, they are living a different way than the person that I knew back then. And then you see people who come from different eras, different age groups, different philosophies, different clothing styles, different music preferences. <coughs> and whatever we look at them, we're like, look, they don't look like they go together. And yet, I don't know, they're, they're like hugging each other. They're, they're like loving on people that are even different than them. And you don't know what to do with that. You're like, what, 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 what's happening there? I mean, what do they have in common? Jesus. They, they've been touched by a love that is not of this world. They've been touched by something and someone who has radically altered the way they see life. That's what Jesus is praying for. He, he's praying for unity, not uniformity. In other words, he's saying, hey, when people look at this church, I don't understand why all these people are clapping and they're happy and they're, uh, they're so excited. But it's not like a pretend excitement. I mean, they, they really have joy. And even though they don't understand the Spirit, they're representing and manifesting the presence of Christ within them, which we can't do on our own, by the way. And you look at verses like verse 22, where he says that, Jesus says, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one. In other words, the Spirit is what brings unity. Verse 24, I, I want those you've given me to be with me forever. I, I mean, what makes heaven so awesome? I mean, what makes heaven so awesome is we get a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ from, from the very foundation of the world. He he makes a statement. He says, oh, righteous father. Now, righteous does not mean good or perfect. Righteous means God will do what is right, and he's always right, and he can be trusted. So he says, oh, righteous father, even though the world doesn't know you, this group of people you gave me, they know you, and they're going to continue to make you known. How are they going to do that? How are we going to do that? We're going to do it by the power of the Spirit. because. In our own self, we're going to default to selfishness. We, we've done that time and time again. Um, you know, people turn on the news. They read the paper. And you see things that are going on in the world, in our area. And it makes people anxious. And people get nervous. And people are like, I, I don't know how long this thing can keep spinning the way it's spinning. And you know, if you have kids or grandkids, you're like, I don't know. It's, I mean, well, if it's this bad now, what's it going to be like in 10, 15, 20, whatever years? And people are like, I just think that the world's moving further and further away from, from God. Well, listen, if you read the John 17 prayer, Jesus isn't surprised. Jesus isn't up in heaven going, I never saw that coming. I mean, the world may not know, 
But there's always going to be a remnant. There's always going to be a remnant of people that know God, that love God, and aren't here for their self. They're here for others. It's the idea that Jesus has never worked from the top down. He usually works from the bottom up. Jesus works through people who have faith that is as small as a mustard seed. He's working through those who say, Lord, I'm not much. I'm the least of the lost of everyone. But we come and we're like, God, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be sent. I'm ready to love people. I'm ready for them to see your truth and to know your truth, even in my brokenness. And God says, look, I'm not here asking for your perfection. I'm asking for your availability because I'm going to put my spirit in you and my spirit will guide you, show you. The spirit will give you the heart to love people well. And that's all established around that word sent. As Jesus was sent into the world to ransom us back from the darkness, he says to us, the church, he's left us here for a reason to be sent into the world and manifest the very nature of Christ in the good news message to others. I mean, I think we could boil it all down to, to three things, okay? Just, I'll try to do that and, and head towards closing. I think there's three things that Jesus says in his prayer. Stay in me. Stay in Christ. That's that verse 11 prayer. Just stay right there. Now, staying in Christ doesn't mean you isolate yourself from the world. It means that becomes your foundation. That becomes your base. That becomes how you move and live and act and speak and talk. That you do it through Christ. Second, he says, be united. Be unified, not uniformity. Uniformity is where everyone looks the same, like little robots. It, listen, that's, a, that's creepy. When everybody acts and says the exact same thing, that's a little bit creepy. That says we've quit thinking. Because you know what? The beautiful thing is, is the body of Christ is the most dangerous thing in the world when people are free to not only receive God's love, but to think in their own way. Now, our thinking has to line up with the cross, but it's the difference of opinions. It's the difference in motives. It's the difference in the way we move out into the world that makes the church so powerful. You, you, you try to take the creativity out of someone. You try to take their, their expression out of them. You, you cut them in half. He, he's, he's not trying to cut us in half. He's trying to redeem us. He's trying to redeem us. Why? For the sake of the world. Because people in the world don't all speak the same language. They don't all think the same way. And if there's not some crazy believer that they can connect with, they're never going to feel safe in a church. I mean, we're not supposed to agree on everything. Matter of fact, there are very few things I'll argue with you about. I mean, you can argue if you want. The blood of Jesus, the Lordship of Christ, that His grace is enough, that the Holy Spirit is the engine that keeps us moving in the right direction. I mean, those are the things that, hey, I, I'm, I'm in. 
When you start talking about who can preach and what kind of this you got to do and you got to go over here, you got to be over, no, I'm not into all that. Aren't you the pastor? I think I'm smart enough not to have senseless arguments of things that don't matter. We can argue it. We're not going to get anywhere. All we're going to do is do this. Jesus said that they will know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another. Are there things worth dying for? Absolutely, there are things worth dying for. What did Jesus die for? He died to overcome our sins. He didn't die for our politics. And can I just say this? Because this is kind of the temptation of the church. The church will sell its soul for power when Jesus gave all his power away. When it becomes about us grabbing power, man, we might better step back. The world isn't going to be won by our power. That's Rome. The world is going to be won because we are humble representatives of a God who laid his power down on a cross so he could die for the world. And then the third thing, stay in Christ, be unified. And then the third thing is, is go. I mean, you know what he said, Matthew 28? As you're going into life, tell the good news. Tell the good news. What's the good news? Is the good news some seven-point outline of theological beliefs and determining factors of what makes you unique? Or is the good news that Jesus Christ came to save the world? Jesus Christ paid the debt we couldn't pay. That Jesus Christ laid his life down, was resurrected. I mean, how, how complicated does the good news have to be? How complicated does it have to be for us to love people that are different than us? <coughs> I don't know if you realize this, but 80 to 90% of our city is not connect, connected to a Bible-believing, Christ-centered church. That's weird, isn't it? 80 to 90% of our city that is disconnected from an intimate relationship with Jesus. I don't know about you, but one of the prayers of my heart, God, what would it take to reach 1%? God, what would it take for that 1% to know that you love them. I mean, we're not the only church in town. We, we just want to be one of the churches in town that is pointing people to Jesus, that's reaching out to the world that we live in and helping them understand that God is good and that he loves them. Not in God is good in the creepy, cliche churchy kind of way, but in the, hey, we know what it's like to be broken because we're broken way. It's not about church growth. It's not about how many people can you get to come. It's not about how much money you can get people to give. I, I don't know what your impression has been of Jesus. I, I don't know what you've heard. But the Jesus that we encounter Scripture is truth and grace. He's full of truth, but he's full of grace. And we're either going to tell that message or we're going to send 
a certain message to certain people. Like, hey, you're not welcome here until you take care of all that mess you've got. Or you've got some churches that are so hungry to build their own platform that it turns into pride. And then you have churches that are so hungry, it's like, wow, look what we did. I don't know about you, but I think the two words that ought to represent the church are humble and hungry. Humble because we realize that we're not moving in our own power, but hungry so that people can know the peace of God that we've experienced. Jesus says, sola deo gloria, for the glory of God alone. It's work that God's going to do in His power, but He's going to use the church. He's going to work through. We're, we're just saying, God, we're available. Um, God, would you just do something that we can't even fathom, more than we can even fathom? So let me just give three things. Maybe try to put a, a wrap on this so I can save you all from me. Before God does anything in and through our church, He must first do something in and through my heart. And, and you can look at yourself and go, yeah, before He does something through us as a collection, He's got to do something in and through me as an individual. He, he, he's got to break my barriers. He, he's got to move in me that I realize that we have all been ransomed. We've all been brought from darkness to light. Because uh, if we ever forget our experience of grace, then we cannot possibly share with others in an authentic way. Because if we forget our own experience with grace, it sounds like we're condescending to other people. If we do, it sounds like we achieve something others can't possibly achieve. Listen, salvation, as you very well know, is not something that you can achieve. It's not a matter of attainment. It's a matter of atonement. It's a matter of what He did for us. It's something that's been given through the grace of Jesus Christ. It's, once again, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread for the day. Secondly, God cares more about our availability than our ability. I mean, people say this all the time. Well, I'm not the pastor. I don't have any special gifts. Listen, the greatest evangelist that we ever read about in Scripture was a five-time divorcee who was living with a man who wouldn't even go out and meet with people. And yet she had an encounter with Jesus and she brought her whole village to know the living Christ. You tell me what kind of degree you need other than the school of hard knocks and soft touches from a loving Savior. People say, I don't like being up in front. Or they, hey, the last church I, I served in, man, they burned me out, they used me up. I, I just don't listen. I, I'm, I'm not in all that. But anytime we read through Scripture and, and somebody experiences the reality of God, the very next thing is, is that they go, they move, they follow. And they usually go in places they never thought they would follow. God's just looking for an open hand and heart that says, here I am. 
send me God because I want people to know what I know. God wants us to be available so that we can move in the places that He needs us to move in. And then third, and this may be the most difficult, when it comes to Gold Country Church, when it comes to an experience here or through people here, anytime we gather in whatever setting, Sunday morning, life groups, whatever, doesn't matter what the setting is, what level of lostness are you comfortable with? I'm going to define that for you. What level of lostness are you comfortable with? Because here's the deal. When people come in, whether we will admit it or not, people size people up. They look at them and they begin to form assumptions of who they are, what they've done, and probably why they're here. I'm not looking. I'm not looking. I'm not looking. I'm not looking. Um, You ever had a single mother come up to you and say, you know, I tried to go to this particular church, but they never really said anything, but by the way people looked at me and avoided me and kind of scoffed at the way my kids were dressed, they, they let me know without saying a word that I really wasn't welcomed there. Um, you know, in the gym, some of you that have been around a while will remember we had more than a few of our homeless friends that came to church. And one Sunday we had a, I'm going to call him the snicker rapper dancer. You know, we, we gave out little bags uh, to people that were, were homeless, you know, food. And there was a guy that had severe mental illness. And he had eaten his snicker and he'd eaten the sandwiches and all the stuff in it. And he had that wrapper and he was so overwhelmed by that snicker wrapper that he began to dance. And as he began to dance, he danced about two foot away from the people leading worship. Now, unbeknownst to some of the people that were far away from him, he had urinated all over himself probably for a few days. And a couple of our guys that are trained in law enforcement just saw him, not anything but just gentleness. As he did a pirouette, a couple of them caught him, and he hugged them, and they hugged him back. And as they hugged him, they walked him to the back to where they could find out how they could help him. Nobody threw him to the ground. Nobody told him he wasn't welcome. Nobody said, hey, you need to go get a bath. Nobody said anything but, hey, how can I help you? Now, you want to talk about criticism? Criticism was waiting right after service. Why do you let people like that in here? Why? Why not? Why not? And you can take whatever you want to put on top of that and ask yourself, if that is sitting next to me, am I comfortable with them being here? You put your own obstacle sitting next to you. What are you comfortable with that God would pour out love enough that they would come and sit 
with a bunch of Christians and possibly experience not only the heart of God, but the hands and the feet of God. What are you comfortable with? Now that's a dangerous question. Some of you don't know that this church started in a bar. Some of you wish you were around when it started in a bar. <laughs> you know what? We communicate through our body language. It's not just what we say. It's how we look at people. Because see, grace has to get so far into us that even when we look at people that we have nothing in common with and we're actually more afraid of than not, that compassion and tenderness like the shepherd who goes after the lost sheep. Reckless love is a fun song to sing until God asks you to be reckless and leave your safety and go after the one. His prayer is a dangerous prayer. There's a lot of phrases we don't identify with. Because our attitude could easily be you need to know what I know before you come here. Or you could have the attitude of, you need what I know I need, and so I'm thankful that you're here. Those are two different prayers. Those are two different prayers. Our task as followers of Christ is to allow the Spirit of God to manifest and to say, you know what? I'm going to remove this obstacle so that person can have the experience of the real Jesus. They may be mean. They may be obnoxious. They may be firing at you. They may be dancing with a snicker wrapper with urine on them. But the only way to change hearts is to point people to Jesus. The only way for our heart to change is for somebody to point us to Jesus and remind us that He didn't save us when we were prettied up and that we were making great decisions. He reached down while we were still sinners, Romans 5 eight, And that's what God died for. Not so that we could earn our way in, but so He could welcome us in. Welcome us in. It's, some people think this is the craziest statement, but I'm not comfortable being around people that have it all together. First of all, they're delusional. And you can't trust delusional people. but I don't have anything in common with them. And neither do you. You know who we have something in common with? Broken and messed up people. And you know who else we have something in common with? People who were put together because somebody show, chose to give them the love of Christ. And listen, people that need the love of Christ are hard to love. We're hard to love. I know you don't like hearing that. We all are a little bit porcupinish and a little bit cactus-like. We, we prick people when they try to get close to us. But there's something about God's love that disarms us. Something about God's love that disarms us. And so, the only way to change hearts is to point people to Jesus. And changing hearts is His business, not ours. So if we stay humble and hungry then we're reminded that there's a world that needs to know the love of God in Christ Jesus through people who have been impacted by that love. That's us.
So this crazy prayer, stay in Christ, be unified, and then go. And then go. Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you that, uh, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And Father, may we never lose sight that maybe it was somebody 5, 10, 15, 25, 40 years ago that planted a seed within us that you loved us even though we weren't ready to receive it. Lord, we're probably pretty pretty aware that the person that planted the first or second or third or 50th seed isn't the one that were with us when we prayed to receive Christ. They were just those that, that kept planting what we needed within us so you could bring the fruit until our eyes were opened and our hearts were touched and we realized that you were life. And so Lord, may we just be those faithful people that just keep planting seeds of hope, of love and mercy, of compassion in others so that they know that there's a God in heaven who came to earth to redeem a broken world. Lord, may we be faithful to that. Lord, as we take communion today, may we be reminded, may we be reminded that we cannot give ourselves away for power and safety, even though we don't want to go and be recklessly crazy and put ourselves in insane places, Lord, may we just be available and humble to say, Lord, send me where you know you want me to go. And may I go with a heart that is humble and determined to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, whatever that looks like. But Father, today as we go to communion, may, Lord, we receive the body and the blood that overcomes and that propels us forward because your word, 2 Corinthians 5, says from now on, because we are in Christ, we don't see people from an old point of view. Lord, we see them through your eyes. And so, Lord, this prayer that you prayed is a dangerous prayer because it breaks us out of the place of comfort and safety and sends us forward to love people with your extraordinary love. In the name of Christ, amen.